Well, hello, my friends. The grace and peace of our Lord and Savior be with you. I want to welcome you to the Sermons from the Cornfield podcast, a weekly podcast where the sermons that I preach each and every Sunday are uploaded for you to listen to and review. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill, and I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. God bless. Our sermon text this morning takes us to the Old Testament book of Jonah. I'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip down to, to verse 10. So again, this is the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, if my math is correct, on about nine different occasions, I've used an episode of the Andy Griffith Show as a lead-in to one of my sermons. One of those episodes that we talked about was the one called Barney and the Choir. But as I've mentioned to some of you, there are so many lessons from Scripture that play out in each episode that you could probably preach on each and every one ever made. And some episodes, like Barney and the Choir, have multiple lessons. And as I was reading through the Jonah text for this morning, I thought about that episode. And another lesson came into my mind from it. Now, by way of a little background, you may remember from this episode that it revolves around Barney's attempts to sing with the Mayberry Choir in preparation for a music contest. The only issue is that Barney's singing voice, as Opie so clearly tells us in this episode, is terrible. And so begins all these different twists and turns as to how to make it so that Barney does not sing with the choir in this contest, yet at the same time, not to do any damage to Barney's fragile ego. One idea that pops into Andy's head, as if by divine intervention while they are practicing in the Taylor home, is to grab Barney by the jaw as he is in mid-song, while his mouth is wide open, and then to look inside his mouth, and then to diagnose a throat problem. And he says, as he's looking into Barney's throat, uh-oh. And he even has Thelma Lou look inside so that she can also see the problem. Of course, there is no problem, but Andy tells Barney to go home and lie down and that although it will certainly be a blow to the choir, Barney's health is more important. And so Barney and Thelma Lou leave the Taylor house and Andy shuts the door and the problem is solved. Until a few hours later, 
Andy's doorbell rings. When he opens that door, in comes Barney and Thelma Lou. It seems that Barney had demanded that Thelma Lou take him right then to the doctor, who then looked at Barney's throat and pronounced him to be 100% healthy. In fact, that issue that Andy saw in the back of Barney's throat, why, that was just Barney's uvula. That's all it was. We all have them. And then Barney says, with great joy in his voice, I got a uvula. You got a uvula. All guys chilling got a uvula. To which Andy replies rather sarcastically, Hallelujah. What does that have to do with Jonah, you ask? We'll get there in a minute. But first, a little background on this book. One of the things that I love about Scripture is how relatable some of the figures within its pages are. And for me, I think Jonah is one of the most relatable. God calls Jonah with a specific purpose. He says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and then proclaim to them the message that I have for them. Now, I want you to pay close attention to the first verse from chapter 3 that I read. Because it said that the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. In all of Scripture, Jonah is the only prophet, major or minor, that God had to call into service a second time. Why is that? Because the first time didn't take. If we go all the way back to chapter 1 of this same book of Jonah, the very first verse, the very first verse of the very first chapter is almost identical to the first verse of chapter 3 that we just read. The Lord calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. And as soon as this word comes to Jonah, he immediately goes to the docks and he gets on a ship and he sails for Tarshish. Now, I don't know how much you know about the geography of the ancient Near East, but Tarshish, Tarshish and Nineveh are on completely opposite sides of the map. This isn't the case of last week when neither Samuel nor Eli recognized the voice of the Lord. No, Jonah knew who was speaking. He knew exactly what the Lord was asking, and yet he chose to flee from it, to choose another path that was more comfortable for him, to choose the easy way. Now, I don't know about you, but right away I can feel this story. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you that the very first time that I felt that God was calling me into pastoral ministry, that I gladly came running. But that's just not true. Looking back, I do think that the call on my life was very clear, was fairly unmistakable. But instead of dropping everything and diving headfirst into it, I headed the other way. It was more comfortable, a whole lot easier to put this calling kind of on the back burner to try and manage it the way that I wanted to than to listen and do what God was asking. Many of the times and ways that God calls us, friends, causes us to deal with things that we don't want to. God may not be calling you to go to Nineveh, but maybe he's calling you to do something that you find difficult, to change a behavior, to change an attitude, to give up something that's pulling you away from God. So Jonah gets on this boat heading as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why? Why was he so set against going to Nineveh? There's at least two answers. 
one that would have been readily apparent to the first hearers of the story, and one that reveals itself later in Jonah's own words. The first reason requires us to understand a little something about the relationship between the Israelites and Nineveh. They didn't like each other. They were adversaries. They were enemies. More than that, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and is remembered in history as the power that entirely destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and later seriously threatened the southern kingdom of Judah as well. They were a well-armed force with an aim to extinguish the entire nation of Israel. To send a Hebrew prophet like Jonah into Nineveh would be the equivalent of sending a Jewish speaker to deliver a moral rebuke and exhortation to the Germans in Berlin in 1936. Or to send one of our GIs into Tokyo in 1942 or into Saddam's palace or Bin Laden's cave in the 2000s. So quite honestly, Jonah was afraid. And I understand that. Quite honestly, there were a number of fearful days and nights, and not just me, but our whole family, as we worked out what this was going to look like. Not just me becoming a preacher, but what about becoming a preacher's wife and then becoming preacher's kids? They, they didn't sign up for this. And while we weren't being called into enemy territory, so to speak, like Jonah, you better believe there were some sleepless nights and fear of the unknown of what lay ahead of us. Jonah gets on this boat headed towards Tarshish, and this angers God. So he sends a storm. Now, in the Old Testament, I think we're familiar with storms and waves and floods out in the open waters, symbolizing God's wrath, God's anger, God's displeasure. It scares the heck out of everyone on that boat. And so each of them begins to pray to their own individual gods. It was a very polytheistic crew. Jonah goes below deck and he tries to get some sleep, but they wake him up and they implore him to pray to his God as well. As you would expect, Jonah was a little reluctant to play, pray to the God that he had just made so very angry. And so long story short, they throw Jonah overboard, hoping that this will appease the God that Jonah has made angry and that Jonah's God will then leave them alone. And it works. While he's in the water, though, Jonah gets swallowed up by a big fish. Thanks to Moby Dick, I think we have this idea that it was a whale, but the actual Hebrew word isn't that specific. It's more of a term generally used to describe a sea creature of some sort. In any event, God is the one that caused this event to happen, and while Jonah is in the belly of the beast, he prays. Sometimes it does take us getting to rock bottom to cause us to pray to God, does it not? Notice that Jonah didn't pray when God first called him into service. He didn't pray when he was in the middle of that storm on the boat with those other guys. No, he was finally moved to prayer when he had nothing else to lose. Might I suggest, friends, that if you feel you're being called into something by God that may seem a little uncomfortable to you, that you pray first and not wait until you hit rock bottom. So moved by Jonah's prayer, the Lord commands the sea creature to expel Jonah from its insides, and once Jonah washes up on the shore, the Lord then calls him the second time. That's where our reading picked up this morning. And so off to Nineveh he goes. 
And when he arrives, he delivers what must have been a real stem winder of a sermon because all of the living things of Nineveh, from the king to the common people to the livestock, proclaim a fast. They all repent of their sins. They all cover themselves with sackcloth. Wouldn't John the Baptist be proud? And they make a promise to turn from their evil ways and their violent behaviors. What was this fiery sermon that Jonah must have preached that convicted everybody? Well, it was just eight words. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all scripture says that he said. But that's all it took. Because when God saw their honest, contrite repentance, they turned from their evil ways. And God changed his mind about punishing them and instead gave them grace, love, and peace. The God of mercy forgave them of their sin. And that's the second reason why Jonah didn't want to go. Chapter 4, verse 2a, Jonah says this. That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Meaning what? Jonah had the key to unlock God's mercy for the Ninevites, but he didn't want them to have it. You see, Jonah wanted his enemies to suffer. He wanted them to feel God's wrath. He wanted them to be punished. He wanted them to get what they, quote, deserved. He didn't want them to know of the offer of forgiveness for those who repent. He didn't want them to know of the goodness of our God. He didn't want them to know the saving grace offered to each and every one of God's children should they just repent, believe the good news, and come to him. Jonah wanted them to be on the outside looking in because in his mind, that's exactly what his enemies deserve. And I think for many of us, that makes sense, doesn't it? If there is someone in your life who has made your life difficult or that has wronged you, that has hurt you, that you don't like, or maybe even will go so far as to say that you hate, we want them to get what they deserve don't we? We want to see them suffer a little bit, to feel a little discomfort, to be punished for, for something, anything. We don't really care what it is. Which brings us back to Barney. I want you to look at the person on your left. I want you to look at the person now on your right. That person has a uvula. Agreed? You know what else? That person also has a Nineveh. We all have a Nineveh. I got a Nineveh. You got a Nineveh. All God's children got a Nineveh. Every person in here has someone in their life, be it a family member, a former friend, a classmate, a co-worker, a politician, the men's basketball coach down at Duke, or some other person that you see with some frequency that you consider an enemy. Someone that you secretly hope suffers some form of discomfort or punishment that you don't like, that has it coming to them. We all have our own Nineveh, whether it be big or small. And you know what else? Friends, I hate to break this to you, but you 
may also be someone's Nineveh. In fact, I know at least one way that you and I both are Nineveh. We were all at one time enemies of God. Every one of us deserve God's judgment and wrath and punishment. But friends, when you take on the waters of baptism and honestly repent of your sins and make a determined effort to live the kind of life the Lord requires of you, then you, yes, you, are spared just like Nineveh was spared. And if the good Lord pours grace upon grace upon grace upon you, then you need to do that same thing to everybody that's around you, particularly to those you consider to be enemies. Leave the punishing to God. Imagine what this world would be like if we took the energy we used to hate and instead used it to love and to forgive and to point people to the Savior. Yes, friends, all of us have our Nineveh's. But thanks be to God, friends, we also have a creator who loves us, forgives us, and welcomes us into relationship with him and with each other. One that is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Our challenge, friends, is for us, us to live lives that mirror those qualities. Because if we do, if we live that kind of a life, we will point people to the Lord. We will proclaim the good news of the gospel simply by our actions. We will proclaim the goodness of the grace of God. And so I ask you, and I ask myself, are we gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, Ready to relent from punishing? My friends, powered by the Holy Spirit, may it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless.